the summer season. We are all newcomers on this land, the unceded land of the Duwamish, whom uh, a tribe still living and thriving in this city. Neighbors with whom we seek in small and faltering ways to be in repaired relationships. Our worship this morning has been planned by the faith um, and ac faith action team, a multi-faith group from the Puget Sound region. At this time, I want to introduce one of our inspirational founders, Abby Brockway, who's a member of Woodland Park Presbyterian Church. The Faith Action Climate Team, known as FACT, was formed three years ago. It formed as many people of many denominations and faiths felt called to focus on the climate crisis. We have organized climate conferences, actions, and events. We have testified and sang at hearings, and we have attended trainings together. One thing we do have, what we have done that stands out, was we held a sit-in at a local Chase Bank branch urging the bank to stop funding controversial pipelines as our native allies at Standing Rock asked us to do. Inside the bank, dressed in our fancy clothes, we sat in a circle on the floor. We began to pray, to sing, and to recite poetry. While one of our fact members met with the branch manager, a bank qu customer questioned aloud whether he had entered a bank or he mistakenly stepped into a worship service we had indeed transformed the space. When the police arrived, they quietly stood in an arc just outside the circle, and they were quiet, careful to not interfere with the holy moment that was happening. We were using our own moral authority and privilege in the best way that we knew how. Last summer, the Presbyterian Church USA held their general assembly in St. Louis. The fossil-free delegation decided that the third, for the third time, we would finally be able to um, join many other institutions that have divested from fossil fuel. After passing fossil-free di divestment overtures out of committee the previous two general assemblies, the minority report and confusion on the floor vote caused the overtures to die both times. We believe this time our campaign would be successful and our denomination would finally divest. We decided to walk from Louisville, our national headquarters, to General Assembly in St. Louis. About 20 of us walked 200 miles. As we walked from town to town, we carried bright orange safety banners that kept us visible, which helped um, drivers on US Route 50, driving 40 to 70 miles per hour, see us as we walked along the narrow roadway. The banners had the blue-green earth painted on it with words that read, for creation. Why were we doing this? Each of us had our own reasons. In the quieter, tedious back roads, I hoped the long walk would be a meditative journey and a walk of apology and repentance. I hoped our walk would mirror what we needed to do to slow down and step by step move towards something completely different. 
It would show to those who had not yet been convinced of divestment that our tenacity and our dedication was deep and we would never give up. For us, it would be a way to meet each other in person rather than organizing online. It would remind ourselves that we could do things that seemed impossible and unimaginable. Each time we would walk through a small town, we were noticed. By the time we reached the other edge of town, a reporter or some curious person would be waiting for us with paper and pencil, asking us questions about what we were doing, giving us a chance to tell our story once again. We made the news in many towns that we walked through in their little papers, and we left awake. Being out in the elements made us needy. We needed shade, we needed a supply of water, we needed a place to pee, we needed to reapply sunscreen, and we needed to find a place to spread out our sleeping bags each night. Organizers of the walk reached out to churches along our route asking if we would be willing to host. Many churches said yes, and a few said no. On day three, First Presbyterian Church of Paoli, Indiana hosted us. The church was small and offered big hospitality with delicious food, friendly church members, and full use of their church, allowing us to make ourselves at home while we spent the night. The next day was Sunday, so we were able to stay and worship the following morning. We had the honor of being included in their service. Our walkers nearly doubled the church attendance. We preached and we brought new songs and were able to witness the way that this small town church worshiped and both groups were changed. After the service, we had a private debrief with the pastor. We wanted to gain any insights of how we came across. We hoped humility, grace, and connections were felt, but we also wanted to be open and honest, sharing who we were and what we believed despite the fact that not all would agree with our mission. The pastor relayed to us that being a small Midwestern Presbyterian church in one of the poorest counties of, in Indiana was difficult. They were so proud of their mission work their ch church did to feed folks in the local town square. But it was difficult to feel excited to give to the larger national church when it seemed the only connection was on paper. The one great hour of sharing offering envelopes would come in the mail from Louisville during the Easter season, along with flyers that explain their mission, and dutifully the congregation would collect the offerings and send the gifts back to the headquarters. But this experience was their only connection to the National Church until this Sunday in June when the fossil-free walkers came to town. They finally felt a tangible connection to the larger church as we ate, shared stories, and listened to the locals tell us what was happening in their region. We became connected. Although the Presbyterian Church decided to become activist shareholders rather than divesting from the industry, it seemed our walk revealed a lot about how we might continue doing climate work. We must see ourselves as apostles, in Greek meaning one who is sent off, with a message. We are losing a lot. Some things that are lost can be restored if we are willing. We continue the walk here locally, walking with each other side by side into the crisis. Thank you, Seattle Mennonite, for welcoming us on our first stop. This is a very 
special place filled with special souls. And we hope that our small group fact can inspire hearts, minds, and spirits as we travel from faith community to faith community. In this overwhelming crisis, we can gain power in knowing that we are partnering with the Creator, and it is our job to be who we are created to be and not to lose ourselves in apathy, despair, and disorientation. That was fun, wasn't it? I'm reading now the gospel from Luke 15, 8 to 10. Jesus told the crowds this parable. For what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. In the parable of the lost coin, the woman has lost one of ten of the coins that she has and yet exerts effort to find that which is lost and asks others to celebrate when she finds it. For me, this parable is about whether we value what is lost and whether we are willing to put forth effort to prevent its loss. Humanity at this point potentially faces the loss of a livable planet. And yet for decades, we have turned our attention away from the potential loss, hoping it will not be true, disbelieving it is true, and even intentionally lying about whether it is true. Sadly, while we have always had and do now have the knowledge of the actions needed to stop climate change, we have lacked the political will to make it happen. Individually and collectively, we have not made the changes. The environmental devastation is creating not just climate destruction, but also mass extinction of species at a staggering rate. To make this choice, we must value even the loss of a small percentage of what we have. We must stop having acceptable sacrifice zones, as the oil companies have called the areas that have been decimated by strip mining, and treat everything that the Creator has made as precious. One small example of this is the monarch butterfly. At this time, there are only 20% of the butterflies worldwide that existed in my childhood. Because of an amazing experience I had in my teen years in a field with monarchs, 
I have always considered them to be a sign of the presence of God. So the threat to their existence is even more poignant to me. We have known for decades that this is because pesticide use kills them. But we have been unable to pass laws that would limit the use of those pesticides. Bees are also threatened by these same pesticides. Yet bee pollinates, bees pollinate every third bite of food that we eat. So as all of life is bound up in the web of life, their fate is intimately connected to our own. As a Quaker, I share with you the distinction of belonging to a historic peace church and a church that affirms a call for simplicity and social justice. Climate change brings all of these precious values into the forefront because as it turns out, the solutions to climate change are solutions that call us into right relationships with the earth and require a more equitable society and in fact cannot be affected unless we adopt a new paradigm one that you and I would recognize as the values of the peaceable kingdom. As a Quaker, I do not really believe in the concept of sin, so the call to repent in the parable I struggle with. However, if there is anything that I could define as sin, it would be the destruction of life on earth. I cannot think of a mo more profound turning away from God. When I heard that Exxon, and as it turns out, several other oil companies also, knew in the 70s of climate change, predicted, in fact, the exact outcomes that we are now experiencing, and deliberately spread misinformation and doubt rather than sounding the alarm and changing their business practices. Yes, that to me is sin. Mennonites chose many, many decades ago to forego a focus on politics as belonging to the realm of Caesar and to focus instead on creating God's kingdom. In my more than a decade of climate activism, I find that many people feel helpless in the face of climate change. They feel the problem is too big and that only politicians can solve it. I believe that mindset both disempowers us and also creates despair. So I have taken a Mennonite position in that I look for the answers outside of national politics and find that there are indeed many things that we can all do. So back to the monarchs and the bees. There has been national campaigns to boycott different places like Lowe's and Home Depot until they stopped carrying Roundup, and it worked. We have the power of the pocketbook with corporations that despoil the earth. It turns out that the trees and certain regenerative agriculture practices have the ability to pull significant amounts of carbon out of the air. 
The Plant for the Planet kids that Abby just mentioned have calculated that each of us in Washington need to plant 150 trees in your lifetime, although as soon as possible would be best. These are examples of actions that people can take that ripple out and have a bigger impact than just individual actions. People ask me how I find hope to do this work of fighting climate change. I have felt called to fight for God's creation, for all of life, and for a better society for our offspring. In so doing, I have been brought into a community of beautiful souls that give reality to the song that we sang as the pre prelude and also as our closing, We Shall Be Known by the Company We Keep. I have seen that the way out is the way towards the peaceable kingdom, which I was already striving for before climate change. I also have become crystal clear that it is not knowing the outcome which must direct my action because even on a sinking ship, I would want to strive for treating each other with love, with kindness, with justice, and mercy. This to me is what it means to live faithfully. And I invite you to join us in living our faiths in the face of climate crisis. Thank you. Jesus offers the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep, which comes immediately before as answers to criticism of him for eating with sinners. The point of both parables seems to be about the rejoicing in heaven that occurs over one sinner who repents. And although we have plenty to repent for, what catches my attention is the image of the woman searching for the one lost coin and how important that coin is to her, even though she has nine others. So it is for me in this age when climate change, climate chaos is tightening its grip on our planet. It is as though every coin that has everything we value is now endangered. When I retired a few years ago, I thought I would spend my leisure hours in hiking, reading, doing photography, meeting friends, perhaps learning a new language. That isn't exactly how things turned out. First, I became a grandfather. And very soon after, I began to confront the gnawing discomfort I had over human-caused climate change. I looked at it in all its full, ugly reality and pondered what I must do. I could no longer live in the kind of denial that says somebody else will take care of this problem. This problem simply wasn't being solved by anyone. Fortunately, there was a movement fighting for our collective future. I began to dip my toe into that movement. After I got on a few organizations' mailing lists, I heard about Shell Oil's plan to base its Arctic oil exploration in Seattle. I made a phone call to the Seattle Port Commission, 
And soon after, I attended a hearing. I went from doing nothing to doing something. I crossed the Rubicon, and life has not been the same. From Joanna Macy, a scholar of Buddhism and a longtime activist in the peace, anti-nuclear, and environmental movements, I have learned a few things about valuing what we have and caring for that which we are at risk of losing. Macy teaches, as do the Jewish and Christian scriptures, that we must practice gratitude. And I have learned from Macy to face squarely the reality that we human beings have destroyed much of the magnificent creation that God gave us and are in the process of destroying so much more. If we face this destruction head on, we will experience grief, and in my case, anger as well. Once we have allowed ourselves to express this gratitude, anger, and grief, we are changed. We no longer have to accept the lie that everything is fine, or the even more insidious lie that nothing we can do will make a difference. We realize that our 10 coins, everything we value, could be lost. For me, this coinage includes food and shelter, a natural world with creatures as strange as wonder and wonderful as orcas and pikas, a civil society, friends and family, and above all for me, my two grandsons who will be in their 30s when the worst effects of climate change hit. I sometimes hear Jesus calling us to action in this planetary crisis. I see him weeping when we buy large SUVs, take unnecessary airplane trips, install gas furnaces, and vote for candidates who offer no solutions to our most pressing problem. Jesus would stand with, eat with, the poor people that are breathing polluted air, the Pacific Islanders and Asian or Alaska natives and our own Quinault brothers and sisters who must move away from the rising ocean, the working poor whose uninsured homes have been um, destroyed by hurricane, flood, and fire. I believe that in this emergency, we are called both to change our personal behavior and to act in the public square. My wife and I have reduced our carbon footprints substantially and continue to do so. I have been privileged to stand beside my sisters and brothers in the Faith Action Climate Team and other grassroots organizations on behalf of the next generations. We've educated ourselves, written letters, lobbied our legislators, marched together, and put our bodies in the way of business as usual. This common cause brings me moments of deep joy. Several of us have taken part in prayerful actions. Uh, Abby mentioned some of these, uh, particularly Chase Bank's funding of oil pipelines. It was, it was while sitting in the lobby of a Chase branch that Abby introduced me to these challenging words by the poet Drew Dellinger. It's 3.23 in the morning, and I'm awake because my great-great-grandchildren won't let me sleep. My great-great-grandchildren ask me in dreams what did you do while the planet was plundered? What did you do when the earth was unraveling? Surely you did something when the seasons started failing. As the animals, the mammals, reptiles, birds were all dying. 
Did you fill the streets with protest when democracy was stolen? What did you do once you knew? <laughs>